in letter 14, and we're continuing after having described the, the five different types of prayers and the components of prayers. And now we're on page 191. And in order to attain all these, we have to have the Kriyata Torah, right? the three, three times weekly reading of the Torah. Uh, sorry, where are you? Page okay. 199, but which? 191, 191 on the, the third line. Oh. So in order to attain all these, in other words, in order to be able to have this level of prayer, with the only way that we can pray to a, a spiritual being, right, to a completely esoteric, abstract concept, the only way that we can do that is if we develop a sense of what, who, what, and who, or yeah, I guess more what we are praying to. So the way to attain these is through Kriyata Torah, through reading of the Torah, the source of all concepts about life and of all its wisdom. So through the learning of the Torah, through understanding what our mission is, through acknowledging what it is that we have received from Hashem, through praising Hashem, which is only going to come through the Torah. That's how we will be able to pray and develop this relationship with God. The culmination of all these ideas and their goal is the brachot, blessings, which accompany us through life. They are the expressions of our resolve to implement God's will in the midst of everyday life. So uh, to be honest, I'm not actually sure what he means. I, I was trying to figure this out earlier today. Is he referring to the blessings that we make throughout our daily lives, right? We'll make many blessings each day. Is that what he's referring to? Or is he referring to the blessings that we receive and those are somehow the expression our, I, I, I imagine he means the act of making a blessing, right? That when we make a blessing, what we are doing is we're expressing our resolve to implement God's will in the midst of everyday life, right? Because as we've mentioned in the past, when we make a blessing, well, by definition, the template, what it expresses is that God is the master of the universe, that we have a personal relationship with the God who is yet also master of the entire universe at the same time. And that he has commanded us to do a specific action, right? Which is a, a way of remembering at all times the nature of the relationship. Or it's a way of saying thank you to Hashem for having given us food or for having, uh, you know, given us other benefits in this world or, or ben anytime we benefit from this world. It's not, not anytime, but often we make a blessing. If you reflect on the ideas which I have outlined and look at our tefillot and our entire divine service from this vantage point, you will perhaps arrive at a more fitting judgment about them. We call our houses of worship shuls, right? So you guys might have heard this word shul before, not synagogue. Where does it come from? From the German word for school. And that is what they are meant to be, schools for adults, for those who have passed from the classroom into the mainstream of life. That's an interesting point to make, right? Now, my dear Benjamin, ask yourself this question. A body of teaching that calls on us to recognize God's presence in the world and in human existence, and to accept his will as our task, that lets us see him as the father of all human beings and every creature and every human being as our brother, that turns our whole life into service of God by having us act justly and lovingly towards each and every being, and instructs us moreover to teach these basic truths of life to ourselves and to others. Can this be a doctrine that cripples the heart as well as the mind, that stifles the joys of life and turns men into brooding monks? Can it be that the study of these teachings, provided it is pursued honestly and intelligently, perverts and deadens the mind, stunts the heart? Surely the words of the sweet singer of Israel are not romantic fantasy, but the truth profoundly felt. 
we're going to continue on to the next page to read some of Psalms. But to, to speak out what's going on over here, this is actually the culmination of the first 13 letters in response to the original letter. So what he's saying is, as we've gone through this entire body of teaching, starting with the purpose of the world, starting with the purpose of the Jewish people, and going on to describe in more detail our specific mission, right? going through the mitzvot, going through tefillah, going through all the different elements of our life, of our religion. Now that we have explained all this, can you still make the argument that it cripples the heart as well as the mind, that it stifles the joys of life and makes life an unhappy life, right? It leads us to be persecuted. All of the different points that he's been addressing throughout this writing is really, if you remember, going back to Naphtali's original points. I'm sorry, Benjamin's original points, which is that Judaism stifles the life. Judaism sucks the happiness out of life, right? It takes the joy out of Mudville, right? Not Mudville, but out of life, right? So, but the, the idea is that he's responding that that's not true. We see it's not true. Now, the words of the sweet singer of Israel are not romantic fantasy, but the truth profoundly felt. And this is in Tehillim, in Psalms, Psalm 19. True, the heavens declare themselves, revelation of God's glory, the thin sheet of space that it is his handiwork. True, day to day proclaims that God has spoken. Night after night revives the thoughts of deity. No speech we need, no words are spoken. The voice is heard without them, without the speech, without the words. Through all the earth, their voice goes forth to the end of that earthly world, their words. In them, he has set the tent of the sun so that like a bridegroom, it may leave its canopy and rejoice as if it were almighty to run its course. And yet fixed in heaven is its issue. Its circuit reaches ever the same end. And thus it is that before the son of God, no one is hidden, but only the law of God is complete, giving answer to the inquiring soul. The testimony of the Lord alone is forever faithful giving wisdom to the unlearned. The ordinances of the Lord are righteous, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are clear, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure and therefore endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are justice altogether. Desirable more than gold and much ornament, sweeter than honey and dripping comb. Oh, that thy servant too might be illumined by them. If he keeps them, how great the path of life. So what we see over here in this entire psalm is speaking about how the sole purpose of this world is to follow the commands of God. But don't make the mistake of thinking, yeah, you'll follow the commands of God and it will be commands of God that you're not really going to end up with that much because unfortunately life is not going to be so enjoyable, right? There's a famous story. It says in Pirkei Avot in Chapters of Our Fathers, there was a, one of the great sages, his name was Antignus Ish Soho. Right, Antignos, the man of Soho, he said, do not be like a servant who serves his master with the thought and having in mind that you're going to receive a reward from God in the end of days. And so he had two students who were great students and their name was um, Tzadok and Baisos. Okay? Now Tzadok and Baisos heard these words and thought what he was saying is that there is no reward for doing mitzvot. It's just the pain and the suffering that we get in this world. Right, And that was the, the perspective that they brought to the table. And therefore, they said only a fool would have that perspective and still continue on. It must be that, these, that this sage has the wrong perspective. right? And therefore, they left behind the oral Torah and they only kept the written Torah. But it was really primarily coming from a place of, of in their mind, that the, if we're going to have to keep the Torah in the mitzvot without receiving any reward, then what's the point of it? Right? Now, what... 
Antigonus was not saying that there isn't a reward. What Antigonus was saying is do not serve your master thinking about the reward. Serve your master because if your master asks you to do something, you should want to please your master. Will there be a reward? Yes. Will the reward be in this world? I would make the argument, yes, the reward is actually in this world just as much as it is in the next world. There's a fellow I know who he works hard. He, uh, at one point, he was the supplier of medical supplies to Google. He's a successful businessman. And he tells me often, he says, I'm so jealous of you. You know why? He gives a lot of charity, by the way. So he tells me, I'm so jealous of you. You know why? Because you get Olam Haza. You get the, the pleasure of this world. I, maybe I get the pleasure in the next world because I give a lot of charity, but you have the pleasure of being able to sit and learn Torah the whole day. What could be greater than that? What could be more fun? What could be more enjoyable than that, right? So the idea being, don't make the mistake of thinking that this is a life that leads to lack of joy and, and a sad life and a constant misery in, in life. That is not what the Torah wants, nor is that what the Torah demands. And that actually should lead to a more fulfilling and satisfying life than any other alternative out there. The recognition of knowing that we're living for a purpose and following that purpose, that should lead to a very spiritually and even physically fulfilling and satisfying life. And that's what, that's what King David is really expressing in Psalms. And this is just, once again, the final negation of what Benjamin had started off his letters to tell you with. Okay, we continue tomorrow night.